Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge explosion of fire for John Forrest. The car exploded going through the lights and this is as bad a fire as... It's a quick turn this week. We're going to recap Bristol and talk about Norwalk with Kevin McKenna and Tony Pedregon. It's going to be Tim Wilkerson. Wilkerson goes 391-2. Who needs to keep their momentum rolling and who needs to pick it up in this back-to-back series of races? Perfect reaction time for Dallas Glenn. Triple zeros across the top of the time slip. And at the finish line stripe, it's Dallas Glenn. This is the NHRA Insider. It's Bruce Pedregon, 395.8, 324 miles an hour. A margin of victory of 26 ten thousandths of a second. Hey everybody, Brian Loans here, back with another episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast, and it is going to be a quick one here, as it is a quick week. We have uh, another race coming uh, literally tomorrow is when I head out to Norwalk, and I'll be doing some sportsman work with Alan Reinhardt on Thursday, and then everything really cranks up as far as the uh, professional categories, of course, get going on Friday. Going to be a huge race in Norwalk. 21 top fuel cars have entered, full fields across the board, great field of pro-modified cars. It will be as Norwalk typically is, as, as Tim Wilkerson described it a few years ago, the 24 hours of Norwalk. Um, it is a race that presents itself with long days because of the car counts and because of, you know, really just all the action on the racetrack. So it will be um, it will be something else and, and kind of a great capper on these back-to-back races. Uh, I want to talk to Bristol. I'll talk about Bristol, of course, and we're going to be doing that with Tony Pedregon and National Dragster's Kevin McKenna. Uh, Bristol was a fascinating race. We're going to go over uh, each class and kind of look and see who succeeded, who failed, and uh, who needs to reverse course or maintain course as we continue on. And, you know, the reality of the situation is we saw final rounds decided in uh, almost every way possible yesterday. We saw, uh, rather, on Sunday at Bristol with Eric Enders having that crazy engine failure uh, with Angel going red against Jerry Savoie, a great side-by-side with Justin Ashley and uh, Sean Langdon. And then that funny car final round with Wilkerson and Caps. All of those things will be topics of discussion as we uh, as we get things going here today. So the Summit Racing Equipment Nationals at Norwalk. It is one of the most fun racetracks we go to. Uh, it is uh, affectionately known there and, and, and dubbed America's Racetrack. Bill Bader and his family have poured their heart and souls into the place, and it shows. Uh, the facility is incredibly well maintained. It is organized. It is ice cream for a dollar. It is all those things. The the big racetrack with the small town racetrack feel, and so kind of getting back into the swing of things here in terms of of Norwalk. It falling on the you know it's kind of typical late June, early July time frame. It is going to be a hot one, and we saw a racetrack in Bristol that was exceptionally hot, over 130 degrees, coming up near 140, and it was almost independent of its. Um, ambient outside temperature and, and it sounds weird to say that but you know when we were talking about this racetrack that's 100 and whatever 129 135 degrees something like that the situation was was interesting in that it was only like 78 or 80 degrees ambient temperature for as far as you know sitting at the grandstands watching a drag race it was kind of ideal weather um it was that ultraviolet uh quotient that was so high that was driving the track temperature up and you know the way that we saw teams negotiate not only a a reprofiled a worked on racetrack also one that was very hot um kind of became defining for the course of the weekend we know robert height qualified number one and we know that uh unfortunately their goal of trying to run three second runs every round uh did not pan out for them they did not make the final 
They'll be trying to do it again this weekend in Ohio. It's about a 480-mile drive, give or take, between Bristol, Tennessee, and Norwalk, Ohio. It is a drive that uh, a lot of the teams began making on Sunday evening after they had packed up their awnings to get ready to go. So it is not a Western Swing-style haul, which will be the next thing that happens after Norwalk. We have a couple of weeks off, and then the famed Denver-Sonoma-Seattle Western Swing. So all this stuff is great. Uh, It was a busy weekend for us on the television side of things. Had some fun qualifying shows, which we will have this weekend. Two qualifying shows from Norwalk. And once again on Sunday, we are on Fox Broadcast Network. So it is the big channel, which we will be on for Norwalk, Denver, Sonoma, Seattle, Topeka will be on FS1, and then Brainerd will be on Fox Broadcast. The U.S. Nationals Monday Eliminations will be on Fox Broadcast, and Maple Grove in September will be on Fox Broadcast as well. So basically, uh, every race from Bristol until Maple Grove uh, outside of Topeka, which will be on FS1, is a broadcast network race. You saw some elements introduced into our broadcast uh, last weekend that we're going to continue to refine. Uh, First off was a change of the color green on the screen, which doesn't sound like a lot, but we heard from a lot of people that were having trouble discerning elapsed times of winning cars on their television screen because the brightness of the green was was, uh, hampering their ability to see the white kind of numbers. So they darkened the green up. People have loved that. You saw the starting line cameras, which we're going to talk to Tony Pedragon about when we have him on here in a few minutes. Um, the perspective you get out of those staging cameras is something we've never been able to accurately show you in this manner before. We're going to continue to refine how we use them, but it is something that will be uh, very telling over these stretch of races when we really get to look in there and kind of start paying minute, and I'm talking down to the inch level of attention as to how people are staging, why they're staging, when they're staging. All that kind of good stuff. It is a neat view that has been a long time coming, and a lot of hard work has gone into making that situation uh, happen. You know, you think it's uh, from the outside looking in, you just plunk a couple cameras down there and put some fancy stuff on the screen, and you're off and going. Uh, It takes an immense amount of work to get all that stuff dialed in, and uh, we thank everybody on the tech side that has worked so hard to get those cameras up and rolling and to give us a perspective that we've never had before. So rather than continuing to ramble on, I'm going to have our guests on, Kevin McKenna and Tony Pedragon, and we're going to make sure that uh, we dive right into the conversation first about Bristol, and then we'll transition all that into Norwalk. Fellas, how are we? We're doing well. Tony? Good, good. Recovering, uh, recovering from a long drive, and uh, since Kernan posted uh, a trip with me on social media, I might as well say I drove with John Kernan and... Um, I'm going to I'm going to go to counseling tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so Just kidding, John. There may John be Kernan, John. Go ahead. There may be some other people that need counseling after the weekend we had in Bristol and and I want to get into that with you guys uh, as we set up this whole Norwalk adventure we got going on this week, but um we got to start with pro stock motorcycle to a degree here because that final round was was pretty unbelievable. You had the thrash to get Jerry's bike ready and then Angel goes red and and Kevin, you know, I didn't even I didn't really know what to say. She was ninety three the run before, and then she goes fifty two red. Yeah, I uh, I wish I had an answer for that as well, and I'm not sure she does. And, and, and honestly, Angel talked all weekend about how she, she kind of found a, a little focus. Uh, I think Andrew Hines and Eddie Craywick had maybe helped her with a little uh, a few things, but I don't know how uh, at that point late in the race where you have. Uh, if not the best bike, at least close to it, you, you kind of go off the rails. And um, 
yeah, she she definitely. I think that's one she absolutely would like to have back. And if you look, Jerry was red behind her, so yes. all she really had to do was have anything green, and uh, you you've successfully defended your uh, Bristol win from last year. And Tony, not to say that anybody you know, quote unquote, saw this coming, but unfortunately, when we look at at some of these situations with Angel, it is it is a bit of a pattern. Yeah, well, you saw it coming. I mean, you picked it, yeah. and I think you picked it for that reason. I mean, she is definitely rattled. She has very little confidence right now, and you know, I, I don't want to say talk is cheap, but um, I think I think that um, you know it is just talk. You know, it's hyperbole. I think that you know addressing it and and working towards it. You know, it's not an easy thing to do, but I mean, you can't deny that Vance and Hine. And, and um, I mean, the bite that they've given her, uh, even with Karen having done what she did in Gainesville and Steve Johnson, I mean, you could argue that that bike should be leading the points. And I, I've got a feeling that it's going to continue to perform. It really makes you wonder. I mean, Nigel, I think, was, uh, uh, you know, put there for several reasons. Uh, you know, she's a very decorated writer. Um, she is she. And... You know, you, it makes you wonder if you know if that was that was somebody else, would they have been off the bike you know, yeah. by now? Because you know, in, when it's all said and done, and we talked about this, Brian, on your last podcast, it is all about performance. So I think they've been very patient with her, and and I, I think you know I, I think at some point they've got to say, look, you know, we got to fix this, and we is you know the the Vance and Hines team. You know, on the other, on the other side of the corner, of course, is Jerry Savoie, who um, you know that thing came up, and I didn't realize it at the time. They had actually swapped a two valve engine back into that thing just to get something to the starting line, Kevin. It was an epic thrash. Yeah, and and Jerry, you know, you, you would think that would be a bit of, bit of a disadvantage, but recently there was a weight adjustment for the two valve, and you've actually got some teams out there thinking that um, that might be a better way to go. That I mean, there's now I think a forty pound difference, yeah, between a two a two valve and a four valve. And Jerry, you know, Jerry's one of the riders who's light enough that he can get to minimum weight. And uh, he said, he actually, he said in his uh, media room interview that he says, don't be surprised if we just leave the two valve in this week for Norwalk, because they think that might be a better way to go on some tracks. I mean, it ran a 92 and it was, you know, it was not far off the pace. If, if things had gone, if things had gone, you know, legally, so to speak, at the starting line, he could have won the race on a whole shot. He would have had to got out on her by a couple of hundreds, but it was in the, it was in within spitting distance. Obviously, it was all decided at the starting line, though. Sure, and he also went 194 miles an hour with no tuning, no data. So, so that kind of maybe gives you a little hint of the potential of that combination. Speaking of tuning and data, um, you know this the the pro stock car final round was just I mean just out of this world bizarre. I mean we saw the car leave and obviously about three hundred and thirty feet the smoke started and it just didn't quit. And Tony, this it was and you you and I were looking at each other like what is going on out there? It was pretty bizarre. Yeah, and the sad part was Erica was fixing to crush him again. Yep. Yeah, and you know and then that happened. So you know Aaron whatever they did with the car and a lot of cars have been shaking, you know, it, it was a lot of, uh, you know, because of the track and the overall track surface and conditions, uh, you know, which again, I think is a great thing. It, it makes the tuners tune. It, it exposes the ones that are, are clutch specialists. You know, you have, you've always had, you know, your tuners and I'm, I'm talking not just limited to pro stock, but pro stock bike, uh, top fuel, funny car. There's always good motor guys. There was always, some guys like Bob Brooks at their specialty was the clutch, but 
you know, having both, that's that, that's when you kind of get into, uh, you know, just a handful of tuners that understand, you know, both of those aspects. So, um, you know, I, I've never really seen anything like it. You know, I, I think I had thrown out there a couple of different scenarios of maybe, you know, transmission line or something got on the exhaust, but, you know, come to find out she blew a motor and it just goes to show you, I mean, hey, they, they still, they put a lot of stress on those pro stock engines and they do a lot to lighten them up and get them to, to you know, not just... Uh, get to the you know engine rpm that they're looking for but the in a pro stock car the rate of acceleration you know how quickly it gets from the starting line to 300 feet you know that's the reason all those engine components they're so expensive and they're so lightweight and you know kevin one of the things that kind of got overshadowed in the in the moment was the fact that stanfield is able to get that thing back into gear and and put something you know some semblance of a run together because it's not like in a regular passenger car you just put the clutch in and, and roll the shifter or whatever gear you want Th- those things are notoriously impossible to actually get back into any sort of a gear once you have it out into a neutral position yeah, that, that, that takes a bit of skill, and I, and I know a lot of times those guys are taught, if you ever do find yourself in kind of a pedal fest situation, get the thing into high gear as quickly as possible. So just, you know, ram the lever and whatever gear it happens to, to get in, hit it, and then get it in high gear, which which he was able to, and, and I know he had uh, Alan Lindsay, his crew chief, on the radio yelling at him, go, 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 and, and, I, and I think uh, Aaron saw what was unfolding uh, ahead of him, so he had just enough time to... Uh, you know, to make some sort of a representative run, to, maybe not representative, but at least yeah. enough to get by her. Um, the other interesting thing, I think, that going forward, uh, you know, the elite team also hurt uh, an engine in Troy Coughlin's car in the first round. So, so heading into Norwalk, they're down two of their frontline bullets, which makes you wonder, um, you know, I know they have almost infinite resources, but does that affect them for this week's event? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's as much as we talk about the engines being, you know, so similar to each other and, and very close in horsepower, you still uh, you still put the best stuff in the car on Sunday. So, and and that was obviously what those two engines represent. So, um, it will be again, you know, an, an interesting scenario to look at, and and you wonder, you know, something like the the wrist pin failing in Erica's car, which which precipitated the engine failure. It's like you got to be a little nervous just in thinking. Well, we assembled all these engines at the same time out of the same box of wrist pins like hopefully that was a rogue agent and not a uh, not a bad production run or something like that sure you hear that noise that noise was the door squeaking open for kyle for dallas and for Greg Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> you got two elite cars one and two and then then you got the three kb cars and man greg anderson the guy i it's it's like the whole world has turned against him he's uh, out of seven round losses this year he's five of them been on hole shots and it's not like his lights are terrible tony it's just he's running into these young drivers that are just standing on the gas and and going o's and teens against him yeah i was thinking about uh you know all the the eras you know that that have passed uh when you know you go back to lee shepherd you can go back to uh, to Bob Glidden and then WJ and then of course Jag and all these great drivers. I don't know that. And Kevin, you can probably expand on this a little more. I don't know if there's ever been an era where you've had such a youth movement in pro stock, but not just not just young drivers, but uh, talented young drivers with good cars. No, you're you're correct. I mean, absolutely not. You look back to the the early days of pro stock. I mean, you had you had a period between. Uh, the late 70s and mid 80s where only four guys ever won a race. Um, we're talking about almost 100 events that were won by either Lee Shepard, Bob Glidden, Warren Johnson, or Frank Iaconio. So so now when you have 
uh, honestly, maybe I would say a dozen of, of the 16 qualifiers that if they won the race, you wouldn't be surprised at all. And, and maybe six or eight that win regularly. Um, don't tell me that that's the golden age of pro stock because my opinion is it's right now. Yeah, no, it is. It is fantastic. It's nerve wracking. I mean, even as a guy standing there watching it, it's kind of nerve wracking because you think, Jesus, there is just no margin for error. And it's uh, and that's front to back in the race car. It's no margin for error in, in making any sort of a tuning uh, mistake, which I'm not saying that's what happened. Eric's car is clearly just a mechanical parts failure. Um, but there is no margin for error, of course, in being laid off the starting line as well. Uh, let's talk about Funny Car a little bit because what we thought, or at least what looked like it was going to shape up to happen, just didn't. And Ron Caps, uh, Ron Caps picks up the first win ever for a for a super bodied Funny Car in NHRA racing, which was a big deal for him. But you know, Tony, what was, in your opinion, the thing that separated Ron Caps and the Napa team from everybody else? All right, Brian, just to, I hope that I answered your question when you asked about Greg Anderson. That is what the problem for Greg Anderson is, but. You know, to, to go back, you know, to Caps, it's, it's no surprise to me. I know that we were, you know, we've been looking at the numbers and the record, and it's it's been Hagen or it's been Robert, so we've been talking about that. But, um, you know, I I knew that there was going to be three. I mean, the only question in Funny Car was who was going to step in and join that company. Is it going to be Cruz? Is it going to be John? Was it going to be Wilkerson? Wilkerson's finally showed, you know, some big improvements. But, you know, Ron Caps by – you know, by, um, by all, by all means is going to be in that conversation. And, and I, I don't know if you can pick a favorite right now, even though Ron is, you know, he's got a little catch up to do, but, um, I don't, I don't think, I, I know the motivational speech and, you know, the fact that he was tired of, you know, just, it was Robert and Hagen, I, you know, that all sounds good, but you know, the reality is, is the personnel that he has. And I know this from experience when you have a tuner, uh, as someone working with him that's a tuner slash engineer that's arguably one of the smartest guys in drag racing, and I'm talking about John Medlin, and those two talents and then the support that they have, you don't have to worry about anything. You know, Ron, has all he has to worry about is driving and, and dealing with the sponsors and crunching the numbers now. And that is a luxury that, you know, a lot of a lot of teams, a lot of drivers, a lot of car owners don't have. So it, it's taken a lot of pressure off of caps and, I think the bigger surprise was that they struggled for a few races. But, you know, if you go back, and, and we haven't even hit hot weather yet, like we're yeah. going to. Yeah. You ain't seen nothing yet. But it was a tricky track. And if you go back, when is the last time that it was really tricky? It was really, like, really hot. And that was Pomona in, in 20, it was 21, right? Yeah. When it was 150 degrees. Yeah. And guess who won the race? By running 415, three consecutive <laughs> runs in a row. And it's the same team. It's the same team. So, you know, those guys are going to be there. You know, Kevin, it was also the first time we've seen somebody really grenade a uh, super body. And uh, by all rights, it looked like it held up pretty well. Yeah. And, and Ron made note of that, that uh, he, he said inside the car, the concussion was less than it normally was. Uh, it seemed to do a little less damage. You know, I don't know if that body, I'm guessing it's savable. You know, it, it certainly didn't turn to confetti and blow all over the racetrack, which we've seen from time to time. So, yeah, so, so there may be something to learn there as far as venting all that pressure. And, and, and you know, with, with Ron, he uh, I know he was a little incensed uh, at an com story that we did uh, that, that suggested the points was a two-horse race between Hagen and Height. Uh, obviously, he, he rectified that situation last week. And, um, yeah, go, going forward, there's no reason to think that uh, – 
he won't be right in the thick of it. Yeah, and and it wasn't you know he's, it wasn't like he was the boogeyman hiding around the corner, but the car had been kind of quiet for a few races, so it uh, it allowed those other two guys to kind of run uh, run off and hide a little bit. Um, you know, strategically this weekend, it's probably going to shape up about the same way in Bristol uh, or rather in Norwalk. The track surface itself is less adventuresome, but temperature wise, Tony, I mean, it's going to be as hotter, hotter. Yes, and regardless of what the track prep is, when it gets hot. There's nothing you can do about it except slow the dang clutch down, <laughs> you know? And, and I think, uh, you know, it's interesting that, you know, some, some tuners and, and, you know, I'm not saying again, I'm not saying that it's easy, but it, it's just amazing how you, you look at some cars that weren't necessarily that quick, you know, cruise is one of them, you know, they weren't the quickest, but that car was getting down the racetrack and, and there are still some that, you know, that just aren't, um, and maybe more top fuel cars and funny cars. I mean, I was impressed, uh, really that Alexis and what Del Warsham did with her car on Sunday was pretty impressive. And, you know, of course, Tim Wilkerson, he, he was getting by some rounds, uh, catching a little bit of luck, but you know, his car was running really good to, uh, you know, about six, 700 feet. Then it started, you know, spinning the tires. So it's really, it's, it's, it's really such a challenge for the funny cars to get beyond 150 to 200 feet you know that is such a critical area but when that track warms up and some of the grip goes away regardless of the track prep it's it's solely based on the track temperature once it gets starts creeping up beyond uh, 130 degrees now you've got that two to 300 feet foot area and now you've got beyond half track where you've got to figure out how do we keep this car from you know from getting the tires loose is it is it in the in the with the timing map can you put wing in it yeah you can do all of these things but you know some guys are just better than others and i think over the next the, the next few races it's, it's going to be really warm on sunday in norwalk and uh, and even saturday i think saturday is forecasted to be the warmest day so um we're here in the summer boys Yes, that is. Uh, it's always a fun kind of great equalizer as we as we look at all things across the board as and we have kind of evaluate these teams and cars and you know it leaves us top fuel to talk about and and my goodness uh, what a day that was. Sean Langdon was uh, on the verge of joining a very small group of only two other people in history that had ever had a professional. Uh, sportsmen double up on the over the course of a of a single national event but uh, beyond all that um, you know Kevin if there was anything that jumped out at you as a as a surprise or even a shock in top fuel over the weekend what was it uh well the lights in the final certainly uh qualify for that when when Justin Ashley races Sean Langdon you you would expect them to be both better than 70 not that that's a horrible light but uh you know, I was thinking we're going to be side by side twenties or thirties. Yeah, um, that was a little bit of a surprise. But but I also think what you had uh, was a get healthy weekend for some people. You know, I think the semifinal did a world of good for Antron Brown. Uh, I think Leah even winning the first round uh, was probably really good for that team. Probably moved them a step closer to uh, the top ten. And, and and really with you know Brittany going out fairly early, Mike Salinas going out fairly early, you you've bunched up the points now. Um, which is, you know, the, the top fuel class is already insane. You got 21 cars going to Norwalk, um, so it's it's a free for all right now. Tony, do you think the success we saw Langdon's car have was a result of of Doug going out early and them kind of translating what they learned on that tire smoking run back over to Sean? 
I don't think so. I think that Sean's car has been more consistent all year than Doug's car. I mean, you look at you look at all the races, the numbers. Just when we think Doug is going to, you know, just to to, to kind of separate himself, um, you know, they smoke the tires, you know, and that's uh, I think you know again, Alan Johnson is still trying to find his way. I, he's going to get there. I thought he would be there by now, but uh, when he does, I wouldn't want to be the guy in the other lane. But um, what good is horsepower when it's real hot and when the track is hot and gooey and you can't use all that power? And I think it, it favored Sean. I think it favored Antron. Um, I know they can make power, but you know, they're just, they seem to be in the, in the process of trying to get their engine in sync with their clutch, you know, and the two working together is really the, the key. I mean, we know they can make all the power they want, but, you know, get it to the ground. I think that's what's been holding those two drivers back. Um, but, you know, I think what I'm seeing in Top Fuel, I think that that number one seed, you know, you go back the last four years and Steve Torrance, I know one of his complaints is one of the things that he didn't like about the countdown is the fact that he has accumulated all these points and then it gets reset. Well, now you're probably going to want to be that number one guy because if you've got three or four, maybe even five drivers, and it's going down to the last race or the last two or three races, you're going to want the points now. So I think that number one seed is going to be important. Uh, I think right now it's up in the air. Steve's going to be there, but I Justin Ashley is going to be in that conversation. So is Brittany. But who else wants to join the party? I think there's room at the top, but it's going to be more important in top fuel and in that class than ever than we've seen in the last four years to be number one. You know, I, you know, I look at Justin Ashley and, and you know, back to back finals. He is the Epping final and and uh, ends up, you know, winning the race, of course, in, in Bristol. And, you know, Kevin, this is a team that's definitely built for the hall. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't think we've ever short shrifted them on credit, but I do feel like when we start to see them succeed to this level, maybe we haven't made a big enough deal about them yet. No, I think you're absolutely correct. They seem to have everything you need, which is the funding, quality tuners, a quality driver. You know, I think Justin's got enough runs now that, you know, he's no longer a rookie. Um, And yeah, there's absolutely no reason to think that once we get into the countdown, uh, that car won't have the ability to do some damage. And it's been to me. I think it's been this gradual build, right? We've seen we've seen Justin come along, and he's been good since he ever sat in the thing. But we've seen the team, like year after year, kind of add another piece and add another piece here and there, and make upgrade here and there. And ultimately, maybe that's why it's it's not necessarily a guy who's bursting onto the scene, Tony, as much as it is somebody who's been seemingly methodical in building that team. I agree. Uh, you know, when Justin, I mean, how many how many drivers do you know that? in their first race uh, in an injected car win, you know? So I think the expectations have been high, you know, and I think that's the benefit. You know, when we talked about uh, Aaron Stanfield and pro stock, you know, and his ability, I mean, he hasn't had to do that too many times where he's had to get the car back in gear and chase somebody down. That's the benefit of being a second generation driver and, and having been surrounded by all that talent over those years. And, you know, Justin Ashley has that same, you know, luxury. He's just, you know, he's indoctrinated in this sport since he was young and he paid attention to when his dad was driving and, uh, you know, he's had his heroes, but, you know, he's just, he's got all the tools. Uh, I think he can withstand the pressure. Um, you know, and when Mike Green was added to that team, that to me, right, uh, that instantly made them 
you know, contenders. And I, I think they have the respect of everybody else out there. So, uh, I mean, these guys are going to be serious business when it comes down to it. With 21 top fuel cars uh, on the the entry sheet for Norwalk, Kevin, are we going to see a big name miss, or do you think we're going to have five cars that just don't quite have enough? Well, you, you've got three qualifying sessions. As Tony pointed out, you've got probably the hottest weather of the weekend on Saturday. Uh, I It would be hard to imagine that that ladder falls into line the way you think it might. Uh, I, I think there's – don't have any idea who it might be, but there's got to be at least one top 10 team that just fumbles the ball this weekend and uh, pays the price for it. What do you say, Tony? I agree. I, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I talked to Chris Baldwin and, you know, that was the race they were going to. They, they selected that and, and maybe it was sponsorship obligations uh, versus Bristol. And, you know, our main concern was it's going to be some pretty good cars there. I mean, Lex June, his car will now get down the racetrack. Yeah. Especially if they run it to a thousand feet. You know, they're cautious, they're careful. But most of these teams have been assisted by some of the bigger teams. And, and I'm sure that's very much appreciated. Competitively, that's a good thing. That's something that Don Schumacher has always done. And, you know, I, I think I think it's going to be interesting, and that, of course, is going to reflect on our qualifying show because anytime we can have that drama, that's a good thing. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, it racing in the heat is is going to be, you know, again, those high powered cars are not going to be able to use it. But you know, what was impressive about Justin Ashley just to wrap up that race was, um, you know, they they banged out a couple of three eighty one, so it was really their race to lose and. You know, I, I'm sure Sean Langdon is looking at those reaction times thinking the same thing, Kevin. It's like, you know, if I could have busted a 40-something light or better on this guy, we get sure. a different result. And I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen again. But um, I, I agree. I, I think uh, both of those drivers were a little disappointed. But uh, Justin Ashley less. You know, it's, it wasn't a perfect race. But, you know, he, he was able to win it. But I think the next time that Sean Langdon – uh, gets into a final round. Uh, I'm pretty sure you're going to see something three or four hundreds quicker than what we saw this past weekend. So mm-hmm. it's uh, you know the dynamic of back-to-back races is always interesting to me because of the stuff we've been talking about. Is it's the you know the idea of can we do it twice and the other side of it can I bail myself out? Because really, once we get past Norwalk, we have a couple weeks off and go straight out to the Western Swing. So if if you're going to set the tone for anything. You know, I think now's the time to do it. Denver is such a one-off race mechanically that that it separates itself among, you know, the teams that have the experience and that have raced up on that mountain more than anybody else. But, you know, Kevin, I guess if there is one team that you feel like really needs to do something this weekend to not necessarily right the ship, but to at least maybe get the ship pointed in the, the correct heading, who would it be in any class? Uh, boy, there, there's a few. Uh, I think Troy Coughlin Jr. is just due for some good luck, if yeah. nothing else. Um, he's had some just horrendous uh, issues this year, and, and, and that's a driver and a car that, that should be well into the top ten. Uh, and I also look at, at what Leah's car is doing. Uh, you know, they, they seem to be making progress, but they probably need to accelerate that a little bit. You know, I, I think like a semifinal finish this weekend would probably do them a world of good. Tony, same question for you to close us up. Hey, Brian, I got a, I got a quick thought here before I forget. We, we have to do our own a, a version of, oh, no, you didn't. And we should call it, 
U-T-H, okay? And you and I talked about this a little bit. When we were building the show and taping the interviews, one of the things that really stood out was was the interview from Robert Height when he said, if we can run threes all day long, then we can win this race, okay? Well, that goes without saying, but when he said that, what did I tell you? They're going to smoke the tires. <laughs> smoke the tires. Guys, it's hot. They all knew that track wasn't that good. And, you know, of course, you can get away with a lot more in the first round than you can in the second round. And they got down the track on that single because they didn't have a, a lot of pressure. And whoever would have been in that other lane, unless it was a good car that missed it in qualifying, um, I just I thought that was really interesting. And I really think that's going to be the theme of the next uh, couple of races, especially in Denver, is we're going to have some heat to deal with. And I don't think it diminishes the show when cars slow down. I don't, you know, we saw those fans standing up and cheering. We saw good races and, and cars that had leads early in the race and, and other cars chasing them down and getting to the finish line. And it was exciting whether they're running 385s or whether they're running 405s and, uh, and spinning the tires. It's exciting. And, um, you, you know, I think, um, I guess to answer your question, I think the Lexus has made a lot of progress you know i think del warsham he really shows his skill set excuse me when when he when he shows what he's capable of doing and you know i think if she can pick the pace up and we know she can uh, i think that's a car along with tim wilkerson that that we haven't seen much of that we're going to going to see a lot more of uh, at the next upcoming races going to be fun to watch gentlemen as always i thank you for your time and uh going to be great to to get out there to norwalk and and you know this is always one of those grueling events there there will be four qualifying sessions here a lot of people don't know that but there are four four qualifying sessions at norwalk uh which again lends to uh what should be you know craziness and top fuel if you get four shots at the racetrack not sure all 21 cars will take all four shots but the majority of them will and if those people that are in trouble find themselves needing to be in the field. They will do whatever they have to do. So, Kevin and uh, Tony, thank you very much, guys. Hey, guys, as much ice cream as you want, it's on me. <laughs> thank you very much. And you're magnanimous. You're absolutely magnanimous. <laughs> <laughs> And that brings us to the end of this quick show because, well, it's a quick week. We're already heading right back into it. Norwalk, Ohio, the NHRA Summit Racing Equipment Nationals coming this weekend. If you've not gotten your tickets, I would not delay. They have sold a lot of tickets. There's no real bad seats in the house at Norwalk. Those big, giant grandstands provide an excellent view no matter where you are on the property. So it is going to be fun. It is going to be hot, and it will be a grueling drag race. We want you to tune in. We have qualifying shows all weekend long, and, of course, we have our elimination show on Sunday, which will air at 3 p.m. on Fox. That is the same Fox you watch your favorite shows on and the NFL. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Loans, and I will be in Norwalk, Ohio, starting on Thursday. Call the action. If you're watching on NHRA.TV, you can hear all of our sportsmen qualifying and time runs on Thursday. And, of course, we'll get into the professional-level fun on Friday with two qualifying sessions and on Saturday with the final two sessions of eliminations on Sunday. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fast. And, boy, oh, boy, it is going to be hot. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.